So this last week, um, uh, my wife's sister and her family were in town. And so uh, if you don't know, I, I talk about my kids a lot, but I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old, okay? And so they, my, my wife's family was in town, so they brought their four-year-old, and all boys, okay? So I had five, four, three-year-old boys all running around in our house, which was chaos and fun and insane. And uh, we have a third boy coming in September, so several times I looked at, you know, Carrie, and I was like, this is what we have to look forward to. Just get ready for this. It's going to be insane buy cheap things that we don't mind being broken. That's really the moral of that. It's just, you just know it's going to get destroyed. But it was just so fun having all of them playing together, these cousins. And one thing that I found about kids, and any of you with, with young kids, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Um, kids, there are things that you tell your kids all the time, right? That you have to, on repeat, you tell them over and over and over again, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, do this. And your kid never seems to get it until that moment that another kid enters into their world and suddenly they're an expert. Have any of you seen this? It cracks me up, right? So, so our kids, like, they love to put their feet on the table. And we're like, no, don't put your feet on the table. Don't put your feet on the table. Don't put your feet on the table. They can't seem to figure that out. Their cousin shows up. Immediately they're like, Sammy, we don't put our feet on the table. And I'm like, really? Like, where did that come from? I mean, I've been telling you this for months, and now you're Mr. Manners. Like, how does that even happen, Right? I mean, kids are sponges. We just heard all these different phrases like are being parroted back to their poor cousin who just shows up innocently and is just trying to like do his thing. And they're like, uh, no, Sammy, uh, we don't put those toys over here and we have to clean up these toys before we get these toys out. We don't put our feet on people's faces. We have a foot thing. Uh, we don't have uh, poop talk at the table. If you've got boys, you'll get that. If you don't, you won't. All right. I mean, there's just all this stuff that we're just hearing over and over and over again. We're like, man, I've been telling you this for months. Clearly you're getting it. Kids are like sponges. Even when we don't realize that they're soaking it all in, they're getting everything. They're getting every single word. Every parent has that story about when, you know, your kid, they repeat back to you something that you said that they didn't think that they heard, usually at like a really unopportune moment, like at dinner with your boss or something. Like you have that, that, that one word that you let slip that one time, and then you're staying in the grocery line, and suddenly your kid's like, oh yeah, look at that, you know, and where'd that come from, Right? I mean, our family, I remember a few years ago, we were getting ready to go back for Christmas, and one of my two-year-old, or my two-year-old at the time, started saying, that sucks. Now, I understand that's like Christian bad, okay? But understand, they're going to go see their grandparents, and grandma is not going to be amused, right? She's not going to think that's cute and adorable. We're like, no, no, shh, don't, you know, that, we're not going to say that, right? See, kids are sponges. They're soaking all of it in. Even when we don't think they are, they're getting it. Now, what we'd like to think is that we're immune to that. We like to think that we're different. We like to think that we're these free-thinking, you know, um, original thought. We're autonomous. Nobody influences us. Nobody tells us how we're going to live. But, of course, that, that's insane. That's just ridiculous. That's naive. I mean, we are highly impressionable people. We are soaking up stuff all the time from the world around us, all the time. There's all these voices telling us everything about ourselves and how we should be and how we should think and how we should live, what we should buy. There's very few things about us, in fact, that have not been influenced somewhere by someone outside of us, right? I mean, everything from our shoes to our watch to our car to our phone to how we live, how we think, right? It, that's just why advertising is a billion-dollar industry. It's not because it doesn't work. It's because we're highly impressionable people, and so we have a society that is built on this idea that we can be impressed upon, that we can be influenced. And, and I'm not saying that's even necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying that's how it is, Right? And I love it. I get these, uh, these kids. When I was a youth pastor, I get these kids. They come up to me and they say, Yo, Lucas, man, I, I can play any video game that I want. It doesn't matter how violent it is. It doesn't affect me. 
I can, I can watch any movie that I want. It doesn't matter what that movie is. It doesn't affect me. And I, my response was always, that's right, because commercials don't work on you. You know, and eventually they realize I'm messing with them. They're like, oh, yeah, right. I guess, I guess there's a reason why we put so much money into that. I mean, this is the society that we live in. This is our world. We are being bombarded constantly, all this messaging, all the time. And it's not just about stuff that we're supposed to buy. It's not just about selling shoes, right? When Nike does a commercial, it's not just about the shoes. They're selling you a way of life, a view of life, that you're going to be young and athletic and a winner. And you like that. We like that. We buy into that. And so we buy a pair of Nike shoes. See, it's not just about the stuff that they're trying to sell us. It's about messaging, about lifestyles, about how to think, how to see the world. And we're being um, inundated with this all the time. All the time, 24-7. And so we have to stop and we have to think, who are we listening to? Where are these influences coming from? What are we listening to? What are the loudest voices in our minds, in our worlds that are shaping us? And as believers... As Christians, as followers of Jesus, and I'm going to speak mainly to believers this morning, so if you're not a Christian, if that's not where you're at, that's totally fine. We're so glad that you're here, but understand I'm going to be speaking mainly to believers this morning. I hope you'll find some of this helpful. I hope more than that you will get a a picture of who our God is, right? But as believers, as Christians, if we are being bombarded, right, all the time with all this messaging, then we have to be soaked in God's word. We have to be saturated by it. We, we have to have it in our lives in such a way that it is dripping from us. Because we've got all these messages coming in, so I need something that is so soaked into the very pores of my life that it drips from me so that it, it becomes this filter through which I understand and I see the world. I've got to be soaked. I've got to be drenched. I've got to be saturated by God's word. Because check this out. The world, as it is right now, just to give you an idea, the world, um, it, it's a little bit, it's a little bit messy. Um, I'm going to clean that up later. Um, you thought I was going to write on that, didn't you? Silly. Um, right, the world, the world is a, a bit messy, isn't it? It's a bit messy out there. And probably most of us have seen that up close and personal. And check this out, if, if all we're doing is we're getting influenced by everything that's around us, then all we're doing, right, we're just we're just kind of adding to the mess. We're just kind of moving it around, and it looks different maybe after we've been there, but we're really just, we're just making a bigger mess. See, but what God wants is for us to be about the solution, about bringing order into chaos, about cleaning up this world, about speaking reconciliation and peace and hope and redemption and forgiveness. So that if we're going to do that, we've got to be soaked in God's word. So that when we enter into it, we make a difference. This is gospel work. That's what it looks like to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. To be so saturated by God's word that when we step in, it's not us, it's God. When we enter into a situation, it's not us. It's the hands and the feet and the words of Jesus Christ. And so, as a church, we want to drink deeply from the Word of God. We want to be saturated, 
soaked in, entrenched. It's, it's going to be our thoughts and our words as we speak to one another, as we engage the world around us, as we talk to our neighbors and our friends, that this is the very word of God that is shaping us and changing us. And so what better place to soak in God's word than in the Psalms? Now, you think about the Psalms, man, they're meant to be soaked in, right? I mean, this isn't, uh, this isn't junk food, the Psalms. These aren't Twinkies. This is, a, this is a fine wine. This is a steak that we're supposed to savor and roll around in our mouths and enjoy. This is something that we're supposed to, to drink in. You know, it's poetry. It's, it's expressing more than words that you can just put in a PowerPoint slide. And so our, our desire over the next few weeks as we, we kick off this series in the Psalms, the next several weeks, it's just we're going to look at different Psalms. And, and our desire is that you would, you would drink them in. Not just on a Sunday morning. But that whatever psalm we're looking at, or maybe find your own, that you would just spend time each day meditating on, delighting in, as we're going to read this morning, soaking in, marinating in, feasting on God's word so that it becomes part of you. Part of your your thoughts, your words, your actions, and it shapes your character and sets the pattern for your life so that you can be part of the gospel work that has called us to and so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to start with Psalm 1, which makes sense, right? We're just going to start at the beginning. And here's the deal. We're, we're starting there not just because it's the first one, but, but actually many scholars think that Psalm 1 was written specifically to introduce the rest of the Psalter with this thought, exactly what we just said, that the person of God, what he's going to call the blessed person, the person of God is a person who is committed to, who is devoted to, who is soaked in, who is saturated by God's Word. All right? So that's where we're headed this morning. Um, If you would just follow along with me as I read from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. That yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, so the psalmist, let me give you the big picture, big idea here that he wants us to get here, is that there's these two paths that we're supposed to be on, right? There's two paths, two options to us, okay? So there's the one path that follows God's word. This is the path that is committed to God's word, and this is a path that ultimately leads to blessing and to life. And then there's another path that follows anything that is contrary to God's word. Doesn't matter where it's coming from. Anything that is against God's word, and that path ultimately leads to death and destruction. And notice that for the psalmist, right, if I go back here to the first slide here, there's not another option, right? He doesn't give us a third option. He's not like, okay, there's this path, and there's this path, and then there's another path. And he doesn't say that we can jump between the paths. Like, I'm going to be following this path, but then I can follow this path at the same time. No, you're either on this path or you're on this path. You don't get to pick and choose, 
We don't get to say, okay, God, I'm going to follow your path on this point, but over here I'm going to try this out instead. See, what we like to do is we treat our beliefs and how we think about the world and how we make decisions kind of like a buffet, right? So we come in and we say, I'm going to take some of this and some of this and some of that, and not so much that, but maybe some of this. And the psalmist says, now that's not an option. You don't get to do that. See, as soon as you do that, you're on the second path. As soon as you do that, you have left the path that is committed to God's word that leads to life and blessing, and now you are on the path that leads to death and destruction. Because as soon as I look at God's word and I say, not so fast. I'm not sure if I want to accept that part of it. I'm going to reject some of that. I like this over here better. Then I have effectively changed God's word from being the living word of God into a self-help book. Like at that point, I get to choose. I get to look at it and say, man, I like what God says about greed, but not so much about what he says about marriage. I like what he says about loving other people, but not so much about this judgment thing over here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some of it, but not all of it, and I turn it into a Dr. Phil bestseller, and it helps me live, live my life a little bit better in some ways, right? But I'm not committed to it. I'm not searching it. I'm not trying to dig into it and struggle at times with what I'm finding there. Instead, I'm just picking and choosing. And what I do is I create this criteria really of whatever is popular, whatever is convenient, whatever is most comfortable, that's what I'm going to accept and everything else gets rejected. And really that's how most people live their lives, isn't it? I mean, just think about the people that you know, think about the world in general, think about, you know, neighbors, whoever. I mean, this is how, and think about ourselves. This is how we approach the world. Okay, this is comfortable. I like this. I don't like this. This sounds good to me. This doesn't sound good to me. Now, as Christians, though, we actually have another step, and it's, it's rather horrible, and we do it without even realizing it oftentimes. But what we want to do, see, there's this voice in our heads, or maybe it's in our hearts. Hopefully, it's the Holy Spirit that's telling us that, that as believers, as Christians, man, God should approve of what I'm doing. Right? Like, if God's not approving of what I'm doing, then there's a problem there. We know that and, and intuitively, right? This is the Holy Spirit. This is our conscience pricking at us. It's like, okay, something's going on here. Okay, and so what we do is we imagine that our standard actually is the same as God's. We imagine that whatever I think about something, however I feel about something, if it's good or if it's bad, whatever that judgment is, then God must feel pretty much the same way. And by doing that, I bless my sin. I sanctify it. Right? So what, you know, watching gratuitous violence on TV. I mean, I love those movies, and it doesn't seem to bother me. It doesn't keep me up at night, so God must be pretty cool with that, too. I mean, I'm not, I don't feel guilty gossiping. It doesn't keep me up at night. I don't feel bad about it. I talk about my friends behind their backs. Not a big deal. God, I know he says that he's against it, but it's probably not that big of a deal. God's probably cool with that. Like, Having sex outside of marriage, any kind of sex outside of marriage. Okay, I know God's word says he's not supposed to do that, but I mean, he can't really mean that. I mean, I really like that. That sounds really good to me. He can't be serious. See, we have bought into this lie, right? One of the, this is one of the big lies, right, that our society has for us is that we are supposed to be happy at all costs, that no one has the right, nothing should have the right to infringe upon our happiness, And what we do is we bless that. We say, man, that sounds really good to me. And I bless that and I say, God must want me to be happy at all costs too. It must be the same. And this is why I have sat across the table from people, men and women, who claim to be believers and they'll tell you, God wants me to be happy. And they have abandoned their families. They've walked away from their kids because 
God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. God wants me to be happy. We are running around, all of us, all of us, whether we realize it or not, all of us, we are running around with these sanctified sins, these areas of our lives that we have blessed. And we've said, man, I'm okay with it, so therefore God must be okay with it as well. And to combat that, if we're going to get away from that, then we have got to think serious thoughts about God and about his word. We have to be soaked in God's word. We have to be saturated by it. We have to do the hard work of looking at God's word and going, okay, God, I want to know what it actually says. And it, I'm going I'm to wrestle with it. I'm going to struggle with it, but I'm going I'm to dig into this. I realize that thinking hard is not real popular in our culture today, but that's what it's going to take. If we're going to have lives that are meaningful and significant and have an impact in this world, that's where it has to begin. We have to start by looking at God's word and being committed to it and struggling with it and searching it and looking at how it applies to my life. Otherwise, I've set myself up as God instead of God. Otherwise, I've said, I'm going to be God. It's how I feel about it. It's what I choose to believe. And God, I'll take your advice on a few of these areas, but not all of them. We have to think serious thoughts about God. We can't just go along with the crowd. We can't just go along with what's popular. We can't just go along with what's comfortable. We can't just go along with what feels good to me and assume that it must feel good to God too. We have to be serious about what God's word says. See, it all begins with who are we listening to? What voices are we listening to? Whose voice are we listening to? See, notice that the problem here is not that a problem of of what we're doing even or what we want to do or what we're wanting to have in our lives. Those are all just byproducts of a deeper issue. Um, Look look at verse 1. I'll explain what I mean here. So it's talking about this man who doesn't do these three things, right? This is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, and does not sit in the seat of scoffers. But the implication here is that there's someone who does right? There's somebody who does walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does stand in the way of sinners, who does sit in the scoffers. Now ask yourself the question, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Is it because they want to be unhappy and miserable and be on a path that leads to death and destruction? No. It's because they want to be happy and have full and meaningful and significant lives, but they're listening to the wrong people. They're listening to the wrong voices. It's like my kids. Um, if my kids are hungry, like they invariably run for the wrong foods. Uh, like if you're at the grocery store and it's like, okay, guys, what do you want for cereal? Like they immediately are going to run for like this most sugary, chocolatey, nasty stuff for you. Why? Is, it, is the problem because they want to eat? No, it's good. They want to eat. They want food. That's a good thing. That's how God's designed them. They need to eat. The problem is that they've seen one too many commercials with Count Chocula or, or, right, they're looking at the box and it's got this fun thing or it's got an action figure inside of it, right? And mom and dad are over here going, no, no, we're going to eat Cheerios, right? But they're listening to the wrong voices. The problem isn't that they're hungry. The problem isn't that they want to eat. The problem is that they're listening to the wrong people. And what we want is power and success 
and money and fame and comfort and security because the world keeps telling us over and over and over and over again in all different ways that that's what it takes to be happy, to have fulfillment, to have meaning. And frankly, that sounds a lot better to us. That's much more attractive than what God's word says, which is that true happiness, true meaning in your life comes through weakness and sacrifice and generosity and even poverty and failure all for the sake of other people. See, it comes down to who we're listening to. It's, the problem isn't that we don't want to be happy. The problem isn't that we want to be miserable and we want to be on a path that leads to death and destruction. No, we want to be happy We want to have meaningful lives. We want to have full lives. We're just listening to the wrong people. And instead of listening to our Heavenly Father who loves and adores us, we don't trust Him. And so we run off and we listen to pop stars. Because they've got life figured out. We listen to our Facebook feed. Because your friends have life figured out. It's like when you're a teenager, you remember this? And not to pick on teenagers. So if you're a teenager... Understand, we're all there. Um, right? When you were a teenager and your parents, like your mom or dad, said, no, no, don't smoke, don't drink, don't hang out with that crowd or whatever. And whatever that was. And then you would run off to your buddies, right? Because a bunch of 15-year-olds are smarter, wiser, and love you more than your parents. That's genius, right? We're listening to the wrong people. And if we listen to bad advice long enough, man, it changes us. It changes us. This is what the psalmist is saying um, right here. Am I in the right? Yeah. So right here, look at this. Look at this progression. Remember, there's somebody who does walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does stand in the way of sinners, who does sit in the seat of scoffers. And this is a progression that he's describing here. And so imagine it like this. If, If you walk in the counsel of the wicked, like if you're just going along and you're taking bad advice from people, like, that's how it begins. It's like, yeah, I don't want to listen to, to God. I don't want to listen to my parents. Or I don't want to listen to right, good advice. And I'm going to go along with this counsel of the wicked. I'm going to go along with, with so-and-so because he's cool. Or, or that person, whatever. Wherever you're getting this, we go along with it. We're getting bad advice. And eventually what happens is we find that we're actually standing with that crowd. We didn't just kind of go along with them for a moment. Now we're actually part of that crowd. And after a little while, that begins to get pretty nice. That gets comfortable. And we can't get out of it. In fact, we actually start to relish it. And eventually it becomes offensive to us to think that anybody would think other than the way that we think. And so now we find ourselves sitting in the seat of scoffers because what happens is we end up in this place where we're like, I can't believe that I ever thought otherwise. Like, I can't believe that I used to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Like, that's just ridiculous. That God created the world. That God cares about who I sleep with or who, you know, what kind of music I listen to or whatever. That God cares about any of that. That's just absurd. That's just stupid. And so we sit off to the side and we throw rocks. That's what it means to sit in the seat of scoffers. Then we get to this point where now we just want to mock God. We become his enemy. We set ourselves up as his enemy. He's not our enemy. We've set ourselves up as his enemy. And we insult him. And we mock him. All because we listen to the wrong people. But the blessed man, look look at the difference here. The blessed man is someone who listens to the right voice. That's where it begins. He listens to the word of God. 
In fact, he doesn't just listen to it. I mean, look how it's described here. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. This is a man or a person who is in, man, they are soaked in. They are saturated. They love God's word. They delight it. They can't stop thinking about it. They want to read it all the time. They can't get enough of it. It's on their thoughts, their minds all the time. They love it. They cherish it. They relish in it. When, when I was growing up and, and I was in Sunday school and they would read this verse, I was, I was always like, is that even real? <laughs> like, is that even realistic? Is that possible? I mean, I get like, you know, loving a good book or, you know, a good movie or there's certain music you just can't get enough of. Like when I was 13, I watched Jurassic Park in this theater like seven times, you know. Um, my wife, Carrie, watched Titanic I don't know how many times in the theater, right? I mean, I get that side of it, but, but the Bible? I mean, really? Is that even possible? And I think a lot of us wonder about that. I think a lot of us struggle with that. Because I think a lot of us, man, we, we want that, don't we? We want to want to read Scripture. We want to love it. We want to delight it. We want to meditate in it. But somehow there's, there's a disconnect in here somewhere. Somehow it's not clicking. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I'm not going to get into all of them. I, I want to share just one that I think the psalmist alludes to here, and, and that's this. Um, the Bible is God's living word. This is how it's described in Scripture, that it, it's God breathes. It's like God breathes it out. His very, you know, his very life is in his word. It's active, it's alive, it's living. But if we treat it like it's a dead thing, if we treat it like it's a dead thing in the sense that we can take it apart, we can pick it apart. We can pick and choose. Think, remember science class and you're taking the frog apart, dismemberment. Um, that was morbid. Um, right, so if you, if you think of it that way, like that frog is dead. The frog is dead. If, you, if this is how we approach God's word, I'm going to pick and choose. I like this part, not this part, this part, not this part. Then it is never going to have a chance to come alive in our hearts and our minds. We've killed it. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, is a pastor and theologian, German, um, right around the time of uh, Nazi Germany was rising up. And this is a man who, whose life was profoundly Im- impacted by God's word. Like he was always a theologian. He would always, you know, be a believer in one sense. But at some point, God's word gets a hold of his life. And later on, he was, uh, write, wrote a letter to his cousin and he explained it. And I'm going to paraphrase this. But basically, here's what he said. Until you give yourself to God's word, it will never give itself to you. Uh, Until you get to this point that you say, okay, God, whatever your word has for me, it doesn't matter what it says. And I may not like it. It may be frustrating. I may have to struggle with it. But God, I'm giving you all of myself. I, I care more about having you, God. I care more about knowing you and following your truth than whether this is going to be convenient or popular for me. Until you get to that point, then God's word is going to remain shrouded and stale. See, this is what the psalmist is, is alluding to, this idea that this man, he is blessed because he is committed to the path. And because of that, he delights and he meditates on God's word. He can't get enough of it. He's saturated. He is soaked in it because it's his life. It's all that he wants. We have to give ourselves to Scripture if it's going to give itself to us. And as a result, notice, the blessed man, he doesn't fall in with the wrong crowd because he's listening to the right person. See, it's the same for whether you're on the right path or the wrong path. It starts with who are you listening to? 
what voice is loudest in your head. And notice that when you get to verses 3 and 4, that who you listen to is going to determine the pattern of your life. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So um, in, in my yard, I've got a bunch of trees. Um, when I was in Dallas, I had two trees. I had one tree in the front, one tree in the back, because we had a little postage stamp of a lot. Now I've got, like, I don't know, hundreds of trees, it seems like. And uh, I still don't know anything about them. But one thing I can tell you is that the health of a tree has zero bearing on the weather. Did you ever think about that? The health of a tree does not matter at all in determining the weather. Just because a tree is healthy doesn't mean the weather is going to be nice all the time. Man, there's storms, there's snow, there's ice, there's rain. No, the sign of a healthy tree, what it means to be a healthy tree, is that no matter what the weather is outside, the tree stands strong. It's grounded, it's rooted, and there can be seasons, its leaves can fall off, right? There's all different kinds of weather out there. There can be, you know, wind blowing against it. There can be tornadoes and hurricanes. It doesn't matter. The tree, the healthy tree, it stands strong. It's grounded, it's rooted. And it's the same idea for the life of the blessed person, the person who's committed to God's word. Their life is grounded. Just because you're blessed doesn't mean that everything goes well, everything's happy all the time. It means that no matter what the weather is outside, whatever our circumstances are, it's not going to define us. We're grounded in God's word. We know who God is. We're not going to be uprooted. We are not going to be shaken. It doesn't matter what happens in our lives. We're grounded. That's what he's saying right here. That the, the person who knows this, and look, it's not just that we're talking about, you know, putting on a happy face, side note here, okay? Like we're Christians, everything's good all the time. No, no, no. We're talking about how there's this true inner peace, this confidence of knowing who God is and what his word says, of knowing his presence in our lives, that no matter what happens, our circumstances don't shake us. They don't destroy us. They don't uproot us. We are grounded in God's word. Contrast that with the wicked person who is like the chaff. So, so chaff, if you don't know, this is like when they would go into a threshing floor with wheat, okay? And they would take the wheat and they'd beat it on the threshing floor, and that would separate the wheat and the chaff. And so the, the wheat is heavy, and so it would stay on the ground. But the chaff, there's no weight to it. It's light. So it would go up into the air, and then the wind would blow it away. And they'd collect it and they'd burn it, okay? And so what the psalmist is saying here is that the wicked person, he's like the chaff. He's not grounded. He's not rooted. Whatever comes up in his life, man, it's just going to blow him all over the place. So in one sense, that means that when trials, when tribulations, right, when everything goes bad, right, that, that wicked person, he's not going to be grounded. He's not going to be firm. It's going to affect him. It's going to mess up his life. He's going to get blown all over the place. But you know what it also means? It means that whatever the popular idea is at the time, that person is going to be blown all over the place. Like, this is the person who wakes up in the morning and says, I believe, hmm, let's see, which way is the wind blowing? I'm going to believe that. This is the person who changed their opinion like they changed clothes. This is the person who goes along with the latest fad, whether it's clothing or morality. Like, okay, so understand here that this person, they believe sincerely what they believe. So we're not talking about hypocrisy here. You see the difference? So hypocrisy is the idea that I say that I believe something, but I don't really, and I do something different. That's hypocrisy. What we're talking about is people who sincerely believe what they believe until they don't believe it anymore. 
So my wife Carrie and I, we, uh, a few years ago, we would say that we absolutely believe that owning a minivan was like a slow and painful death. Now we believe that owning a minivan is awesome because we have small children. You, you see what happened? It's not hypocrisy. We didn't like go out and sneak. We hate minivans. Oh, we actually like them and now we're going to go buy one secretly. No, that's hypocrisy. No, we firmly believe that owning a minivan was terrible. We never wanted to do it. And then we have kids and now we love owning a minivan, Right? That's the difference. We are sincere people who believe what we believe until we don't believe it anymore. And that's who he's talking about right here. People who in all sincerity, they are totally genuine. They absolutely believe what they believe until they don't. So this, this is the, the young lady who believes that, that she is going to save herself for marriage. She's never going to have sex outside of marriage until she meets Mr. Dreamy. This is, this is the guy who's absolutely against divorce. There's no place for divorce. There's no reason for a divorce. There's no excuse for divorce until he gets into that marriage and then finally discovers that there's an exception. And he believes that. This is the person who absolutely believes wholeheartedly that Jesus Christ is God and they adore him and they worship him and they feel warm and fuzzy until... They get a hold of a book that makes fun of Christianity and now they are absolutely as devoted to not believing in God as they used to be devoted to believing in God. They're not grounded. They're uprooted. They're blown about by the wind. They're blown about by circumstances. They're blown about by culture. And as a result, they have no, there's no weight to their life. There's no significance to their life. There's no impact I mean, they, they just make a bigger mess. And in the end, the psalmist warns that that person is going to be excluded from the kingdom. Look at verses 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Look, you can't, you can't be right with God and reject God's word. You just can't. It's an impossibility. We like to think that we can. But you cannot, re- uh, you cannot reject God's word and be okay with God. If you reject God's word, you reject God. Because as soon as you say, God, you're God in everything but that, you've just said that, God, you're not God. And God's not cool with that. We can't have this idea we can be okay to agree and disagree with God. You know, God, I don't really accept you as God in this area of my life, but we're still cool, right? No, that doesn't work with God. If you reject God's word, then you reject God. Think of it this way. If, if, if I'm not following God's word, then I can't be a follower of God. It's that simple. I mean, Jesus, in, in John 14, he says, if you love me, you obey what I've commanded. It's that simple. We can't choose to ignore God's word and then claim that we love him. Now, that doesn't mean we follow it perfectly. We make mistakes all the time. But this is a matter of commitment. This is a matter of, of deciding, okay, who am I going to follow? doesn't mean I don't mess up. It means that imperfectly I follow God. I search out his word. I follow it as best I possibly can. And I fail along the way. And in that, I trust in God's grace that his Holy Spirit is going to keep me on the path of life. Right? But it's a decision that I'm making that I'm going to follow. I'm going to pursue God's word above everything else. When I get to choose between the two, 
I want to choose this. I may not always, but God is going to graciously pull me back. But I'm not saying it's neutral. I can choose it. I can reject it. Either way, I'm good with God. No, that's not an option. That's not an option. And if you follow that path, where you say, okay, I'm going to try to pick and choose between the two of them, or I'm going to reject God over here, and I'm going to do this over here, but God, we're still cool. If we try to follow that path and understand where it leads, it leads to death. The way of the wicked will perish. See, this is why we have to be soaked in God's word. This is why we have to be saturated by it. Because we are living in a world that we are, we are inundated with all kinds of different viewpoints and different perspectives and different worldviews. And all of it is trying to pull us away. Like so much of it is trying to pull us away from God's path, the path of life, and pull us to a path of destruction. What I need is God's word to keep me grounded. I need God's word to keep pulling me over here and make sure that I know who he is and what his word has to say for my life. I need God's word to keep me planted and stable and strong, no matter what the winds of life are, no matter what other people are saying, whatever gales come and beat against my house and my life, I need God's word to keep me on track. Um, this, on Friday night, um, I was uh, playing with my kids, and they wanted to go on a bike ride, and so my, my five-year-old got on his bike, and he went down the hill in front of our house. It's pretty steep, and so we went for a little ride, and when we came back, he got to the bottom of the hill, and he wanted to go up it, and he couldn't quite get started because it's pretty steep, like I said. So I ran over there, and I was going to help him. And I, uh, I, I get behind him, and I kind of get him started. But I could tell it's, it's a pretty steep hill, like I said. And so I knew along the way it was going to get hard to pedal. It was going to get tough. He didn't have a whole lot of momentum. He's pretty little. And, uh, and, and he, what would happen is he'd start to wobble, right? And he got to start to get a little bit concerned because he's starting to wobble, and so he kind of glanced over his shoulder and make sure I'm still there. And what I'm doing is I'm right behind him and I've got my hand right on the seat. And in those moments, I give him a little bit more of an oomph and I kind of stabilize him. I make sure he's doing okay. And then I just say, hey, buddy, I'm right here. I got you. Pedal hard. I got you. Pedal hard. And, and that night I was thinking, man, that is what Scripture does. That's what God's Word is in our lives. That we're pedaling through life and, and things get wobbly and we start to veer off the course and the scripture holds us steady. It keeps us, from, we, it keeps us grounded. It keeps us stable. And it keeps us from veering off into the street or crashing and burning and skinning our knees. And the message of it all the time is God saying, I, I've got you. I'm with you. I care about you. I know the path that you're on. This is what he says in verse 6. For the, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows where we're going. He knows where our life is headed. He knows what's going on with us, and he's right there with us. And this idea of knowing here, it's not just like he knows about us like we exist. Like he's got our stats. Lucas, 5'8", 150 pounds, right? You know, married to carry two kids. No, it's like this idea that he intimately knows us and that he cares about us the way that I care about my kids. I don't just know my kids exist. Man, I love them. I, I know them. Uh, there, there's an expression that um, we use in ministry sometimes. You've, you may have heard it outside of that as well. It's, it's that people don't care what you have to say until they know that you care. Isn't that true? People don't care what you have to say until they know you care. And yet, we are listening to all kinds of voices all the time. When no one loves us, no one cares for us, like God. I mean, who loves you more? 
Who cares for you in your life more than God does? Jesus died for us while we were his enemies. While we hated him, while we shook our fists at him, while we wished he was dead, Jesus said, I love you so much that I'm going to come and I'm going to die for you. Who loves you like that? Who cares for you like that? So who are you listening to? You listen to your Facebook feed? Nobody cares about you on your Facebook feed. Bad news. You're listening to, to pop culture? They don't care about you. You think they care about you? They think, you think they love you somehow? Who loves you? Who cares for you more than Christ? So who are we listening to? Who are we listening to? If we want to be about God's work, about the gospel work that he has for us right here in Phoenixville, right here in your family, in your community, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, if we're going to be about that, then we have to be soaked. We have to be saturated. We have to be drenched in God's word. It's got to drip from us. Because it's God's word that brings life. It's not me. It's not you. It's God's word that brings redemption and it brings hope. Who are we listening to?